Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Welcome to Food and Beverage Magazine Live. We're very excited to have you here. And remember who we are. We're Food and Beverage Magazine brought to life. Live juicy inside scoop for the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farmers, foodies, friends of the food and beverage world. I got to do this fast. These guys are in service and we don't have a lot of time. Hit it. Jennifer, how are you? Hey, Michael Pulitz. Welcome, everybody. This is F&B Live from Food and Beverage Magazine, reaching out to our friends in the business all over the country. The news literally from coast to coast is, is shifting like sand under our feet to open. Are you open? Are you not open? Are you going to open? We're looking at a really confusing landscape. But behind the landscape is the intention of keeping everybody safe and healthy, at least physically and medically and health-wise. But the problem becomes what happens when you have to shut down all your businesses to do it? And what happens to people's social health and mental health and, and nutrition and community when everything that their world was comprised of gets shut down? Yeah. When there are people who, because they lost their jobs and didn't get any support money or unemployment insurance or anything, had no way to literally feed themselves. So yeah, when let's, let's introduce our guest. He's well, right there. Look at that. I know, but I but I have to set this up because we've been hearing hero stories from across the country. We've been hearing hero stories from, of course, the front lines and the first responders and uh, the hospitals and the, the the emergency medical teams and and but we've heard a little bit from the restaurant and hospitality world. But we hear a lot from the people who are on the ground taking care of their communities, even if they weren't open as a restaurant or if they were lucky enough to somehow stay open for to go service, finding a way to do even more. And that's the hero's story we're talking about today with our first guest from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We're going to reach out to some friends at a fantastic cocktail bar and and food emporium uh, called Donna. And joining us now is one of the owner operators of Donna in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We're going to talk to uh, Leif. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. There it is. So uh, Leif Huckman, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, 
Yeah. Let's tell everybody about what's going on because I got to start by saying you guys are absolute heroes. You're not, you're not hedge fund millionaires. You don't have yeah. all the money in the world. Uh, you, like so many of us, are struggling. Paint your picture of what's going on in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and in particular with your micro community in the neighborhood you're in. I will say that um, everything that you said is true. The, the one thing that I would take uh, uh, take issue with is calling us heroes. I don't. I don't think that we're heroic in what we're doing. I think that, like every other operator in the country, and especially New York City, we're doing anything we possibly can to stay afloat, to navigate the situation, and at the very least, to provide uh, the community service that a bar and restaurant does provide, and that's just to feed some people. And we. When we were shut down in the middle of March, we had a, a fridge full of inventory and we were like, well, we're either going to let this go to waste or we can do something with it. And Patrick, who's joined us now as, as well, had um, liquor brands that we've done a lot of business with uh, reaching out to us to see how they could help. And he, he connected the dots and he said, look, we will put meals together if you guys can pay for them. We got a lot of hospitality workers who are out of work starting today. And if we can give them even a meal a day, it's going to save some money uh, for the future. And that's what we're doing. Um, and, and one of the things that was genius. I think the, yeah, one of the right things now are obviously our frontline workers. And, and um, seem to be. Yeah, we're having a little difficulty with um, with Leaf's connection. Patrick, I'm going to shift to you for a second while we try and, and work it, out that. Introduce step. Patrick. We haven't introduced him yet. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, okay. here he is, Patrick Dart, Beverage Director at Don. Hey, everybody. Hey, Patrick. Michael, one of the things that really like struck me in the heart about what there these what these people are doing at Donut. Yes, they're a fantastic cocktail community in a in a city that is really world renowned for cocktails. And with our friend, you know, Julie Reiner and her whole team with Ivy Mix and yeah. with the whole crew at Leyenda. I mean, I've got a real soft spot for everybody that's mixing in Brooklyn, period. They've had a really pivotal role over the last 18 years in elevating the national and global cocktail culture to where it is today. If we didn't have Brooklyn, we wouldn't have cocktails the same way, period. Doesn't matter yeah. where you go in the world, you will see the influence of Brooklyn, New York cocktails. Go to Singapore, go to London, go to Northern Ireland, go to Japan, go to Canada. You will see their influence. So we have to integrate the notion that these are really integral people who are on the ground and have been inventing, reinventing, reimagining the cocktail culture that exists from literally day one and people train together and then they collaborate and it's collegial and it's a remarkable community. So when this, you know, shit hit the fan and, and people were out of work and we're all sort of looking at each other, like, what can we do? Cause that's the hospitality impulse. What yeah. can we do and how are we going to pay for it? Cause we always say, what can we do? And then we kind of say, well, let's figure out how to pay for it later. Cause yeah. most important, let's get these people fed. Let's yeah. solve the problem. Uh, and, and that's kind of what you did. And you took it a really interesting step further by involving Pernod Ricard. That's point one. I don't know where my finger is in, in, the, in the shot. So you involve Pernod Ricard. But the second thing is 
you did it with an incredible measure of dignity. Nobody's asking for handouts. You found a way to create a quote unquote house tab that anybody could come to your place, get something to eat and put it on a tab. Talk about that because I think that's so inspiring that anybody anywhere in the country could be doing this. Well, I think one of the important parts of that too, Jennifer, and I appreciate that note, is that you, you have another sector of our hospitality business that is invisible right now, which is the undocumented workers. And we know that undocumented workers keep uh, the New York City restaurant industry alive and, and the, obviously the entire country's restaurant industry alive. Having a house cab allows for people to come to our window, no questions asked, and get a free meal. Um, those kinds of safety nets do not exist for these people. They do not have unemployment. Uh, they're not getting any kind of stimulus support. Um, and a free meal isn't a lot. It really isn't. But it's the least that we can do. And it's, and it's a legitimate support to a segment of a population that um, has supported our existence and right now are left with very few uh, safety nets uh, below them. And Patrick, I want to have you comment on that because on the one hand, yes, it's humble, it's simple, it's a single meal, and you may say it's nothing, but in the moment you're hungry, it's everything. It's the only thing that matters. And maybe you're bringing that meal home and sharing it with your kid. These are people who are having that kind of challenge. We have people show up with their children, too. I mean, you know, with child in hand saying, can I get an extra meal for my kid? And, you know, the answer is, of course, yes. But you're right. Always going to always going to do like what we can from from that window. So I'm shaking the heck out of my table. Um, Am I frozen? No, you're good. Okay. All right. It's frozen on my side here a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, the way the tab kind of came to be was just. you know, necessity is the mother of invention. It was more of a logistical way of tracking everything. Right. Uh, and then we were like, oh, we'll just put it in there as the meal, um, as like a meal deal button or whatever. Uh, and then it's like, oh, this is just like having a tap. Uh, and then branding, branding it really um, was a collaboration between uh, Veronica Chaparro, Pernod Ricard, uh, right. and myself, which, you know, we, we do a ton of events with her specifically because she's an agave specialist. For Pinova Card, it's just one of our, uh, I think, strongest partnerships that we have, and it was that's pretty much like the impetus of the way the the program came together, and then it was also a, a structure that other uh, brands um, could latch onto. Right. Um, so it's been more than Pinova Card. It's been small producers, big producers. It's been individual people, people in my mom's company. Uh, bought gift cards and said, hey, put it on the tab. It's been really heartwarming to kind of see everyone coalesce and, around. And let's tell everybody a little bit about the heart and soul and flavor philosophy of what you all make at Donna. Um, yeah. Because it really speaks to the connection you have with us here in the desert southwest, where we host the Agave Heritage Festival, which we can't wait to have you come and visit with us next time you come. Yeah, uh, you've got to come and do a seminar with me at the next one of these because oh, you are absolutely. bringing the spirit of, of the whole essence of what agave spirits are to life. Well, my um, my history, you know, I, I came up in the cocktail scene at a time uh, where the Renaissance was really coming to life. I got to work with incredibly talented people like Lynette Marrero and Yana Wolfson and Toby Maloney and Jimmy Kearns and 
the list goes on and on. I just it was at the right moment at the right time. And um, when I started uh, thinking about opening up a bar, I wanted to open up a bar that focused on uh, sugarcane and agave because um, my mother is from Honduras and those oh, are the cool. spirits that are the most prevalent in that area. Cool. And the cocktail scene of you know, 2011, 2012 when we opened uh, was very much focused on whiskey and gin. Those were, I think, the first beer categories that cocktail bars really focused on. Right. And there were only a handful of people who were beginning to explore uh, sugarcane and agave spirits. And Donna was one of those bars. And it, a part of that ended up implicitly um, creating an environment that was very egalitarian. It was, it was less about condescending to the consumer and saying, you know, this is how you should make a drink or, or uh, we don't serve that here. And more like, come one, come all. Like, if you're interested in it, we're going to sit next to you and give you that education. And if you're just here for a good time, we can provide that too. And, yeah. And you know, this thing that's so uh, true about what you're saying is, in the agave spirits realm, it's not just tequilas. It's tequilas and mezcals and sotol right. and bacanoras. And right. people yeah. across the country are only just beginning to discover some of those. But That's for right. those of us who have a history with these, going back 15, 18 years with Ron Cooper bringing the first Del McGay yes. mezcals into North America. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's really interesting is there's a real humility to the excellence in the art and craft in all of this. With the mezcals, for instance, it's true that you will never likely taste the same one twice because mm -hmm. everything about it, like a vintage in a wine producer in a Grand Cru, changes so much from year to year that the end product based on the, the, um, the varietal of, of the uh, moment of the agave, the climate, the way it was harvested, there's so many variables in every year that that having a vintage almost uh, makes it that much different from year to year. So the thing about the democratization, uh, the democratization of the mezcals and the tequilas and bacanoras is that it's a culture where no one's going to say, what do you mean you've never tasted this bacanora? What do you mean you can't tell the difference between this mezcal and that? Right. There's none of that. And it's just... Everybody comes to the table with humility and interest. And what you're doing is such an expression of the spirit of that particular category of spirits, if that makes sense. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think that, you know, it's, it, Mezcal, well, we were also, we benefited when we opened Donna. Uh, Jeremy Ortel was our opening beverage manager and Jeremy was working at Mayawell. So he was getting this kind of education firsthand and he introduced me to Mezcal. And it was the first, it was an aha moment where, you know, I tasted terroir in spirit before, you know, for the first time. And I had, that had never happened before. And it, it immediately starts um, inspiring you to ask the questions, where is this from? How is this made? Who is making this? Right. The human story behind agave distillate and sugarcane distillate is so rich. It's not just about the methodology. It's about the people who are making it. And well, that's why those particular spirit categories are so inspiring to me. Yeah, no, Patrick and, and Leaf, the two of you, I'll, I'll throw this out. We have a long history of differentiated terroir in the sugarcane category. That's right. Whether we like a rum from Puerto Rico versus a rum from Barbados. Absolutely. A rum from Barbados is bewitching. A white yeah. rum from Puerto Rico is silky. 
and sex, mm-hmm. they're just completely different things, even though they're essentially the same quote unquote product. Well, and, and you got to, I mean, the interesting thing with sugarcane is really trying to discover like, well, what, what's the history of colonization in that area? Because that likely implies what the methodology is. It, the, whoever colonized that land, which isn't to say, you know, kudos to the colonizers, just to say that historically speaking, that tends to set a precedent on how they're distilling their, their spirit and whether they're distilling from molasses or sugarcane. Right. And P.S., if they're producing for the British Royal Navy consumption versus some other utilization. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All makes a difference. Listen, and we were talking before, you mentioned some names of favorite people, including Lynette Marrero, yeah. who is part of the, the, the team that put together Leyenda, which again is, is sort of giving an, a cultural, edible, sippable nod to a region of the world and a food type and a drink category. But more importantly, I think it speaks to the cultural vibe, you know, that real sort of tone and energy of conviviality that's much more welcoming and relaxing. I, I agree with that 100%. I, um, I had the benefit of working with Lynette and Yana simultaneously at Freeman's. And um, they trained. They were the first. I had been bartending for probably about a year and a half or two years, but I never really knew what I was doing. I was just making the specs that were told to me quickly. Um, both Lynette and Yana, um, they set a precedent for me in terms of how willing they were to teach me and the kind of energy that they invited me to, to towards this education. And I've carried that with me ever since. It, it was not uh, bullying or uh, condescending. It was just, it was very warm and inviting. I think that's really important. And I'm grateful for them for that. Listen, uh, Leif, one of the things I want to make sure we tie together is globally and trend-wise, this week, the James Beard Foundation announced their nominees for the 2020 James Beard Awards, which happened to be the 30th anniversary James Beard Awards. Yeah. And in one of the um, Mid-Atlantic nominees, we see uh, Christina Martinez, mm. who is perhaps most famous for two things relative to our conversation today. One, not only is she recognized as one of the leading chefs in the country, mm. she producing what might be called humble barbacoa in a very traditional style from her native Mexico. Right. And it is redefining and recalibrating what we think of fine dining in the United States. Yeah. But it also is famously known that she is undocumented and faces a constant threat of action against her. And her courage is remarkable in this moment. And she, in a, in a way, represents every one of the people that comes up to your window to get a meal as an undocumented worker in the hospitality industry that needs some assistance and has nowhere else to turn. Will you talk a little bit about that? Because you're in that category that is sort of fine dining right now as defined by the James Beard Foundation nominations this year? I think that um, it just goes to show the um, how arbitrary this, these definitions are. And the land that we stand on did not belong to us initially. And you know they belong to some of my own ancestors because my mother is from Honduras and we are descended from the Maya and this land we come from. 
to call somebody, uh, you know, illegal or anything like that to me is um, irresponsible. And um, I think uh, is, uh, I, I think is a waste of the opportunities that are available to us when we lift these people up. And if you, you see somebody like this who's making award-winning food uh, and, and she's choosing to do so here in the United States and we get to be the, the recipients of that benefit, right. um, all we should be doing is making a pathway for these people to continue to improve our country because that's what's going on. Talk a little bit about the food you make at Donna. Donna um, focuses on tacos and uh, uh, very easy, uh, very convivial uh, food from Eduardo Sandoval, who had worked uh, at Mission Chinese and Mission Cantina. And he was doing a burrito pop-up in other bars and restaurants, or bars, I should say, in Williamsburg um, called El Bronquito. And a friend introduced me to Eduardo and I tasted some of his food and I loved it. And I invited him to come into Donna and make tacos for us. And so he's been working with us since 2013, I think, 2013 or 2014. What's the style of your taco game? It's, uh, I think it's very, uh, it's very like California uh, street taco style. Um, I'm originally from California. Eduardo is from um, El Paso. It's it's definitely like West Coast. And um, they're like smaller tacos, but filled to the brim and it's two per plate. Um, so what I love about a taco is like a taco can be a meal, but it never gets in the way of a party, you know, like tacos are, are, are enough food to eat to keep you satiated, but you can still have like a dance party and nobody's going to be bothered. It's not, it's not too precious. Well, you know, right now I'm broadcasting from Tucson, Arizona. Okay. And, uh, not only do we host the uh, Agave Heritage Festival, but for uh, many years, um, people have been coming here and cultivating food. In fact, Tucson, Arizona is the city of gastronomy named so by UNESCO. People have been coming here and cultivating, making, and sharing food for 4,000 years. We've right. kind of got it down to a science. And one of the things that we'll talk about a little later on in the show with our next guest, Ray Flores, from the El Charo family of restaurants, um, whose family has been operating um, Mexican restaurants uh, for almost 100 years. I think it's 98 years we're up to. Um, but what we know is that this is just a very delicious, accessible cuisine that is really wildly open to the interpretation of not only the chef, but the house style and the regional uh, elements that you have to cook with. But it's all recognizable. Nobody's doing tacos and, and someone else is saying, that's not a taco. That's a French dip sandwich. You know, a taco right. is a taco is a taco. And, and that's the beauty of it. Its simplicity is its access. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Um, talk a little bit about how you would encourage or inspire any operator who is listening to this with us today to create a program like the TAB program that you partnered with Pernod Ricard. How is it kind of structured? How technically can someone do this? How can someone get started? Well, I think that it's it's fairly simple in the sense that if you have relationships with corporate sponsors who have the ability to support, or community sponsors for that matter, I should also mention that 
Mibadio, which is uh, one of our local vendors, a uh, supplier of a lot of amazing high quality Mexican products. Um, they uh, also contributed to this tab by giving us free product when they learned what we were doing. Um, so I think it can come from a lot of different levels and it's simply just acknowledging that if you can cover your costs of this meal, um, and, and maybe that's coming a little bit out of your pocket, or maybe that's coming from support from the community or support from corporate sponsorship. Um, it's, it's a certain, you're going to be there if you, if you're open and you're doing delivery and takeout anyway, it's not much more effort to be able to provide at least one meal per day, which is what we're doing, uh, to a person who might not be able to afford that. And, and, you know, I think about it, it's not just, um, it's not just the meal you can't afford. We're all stuck in our houses. We're cooking every single meal for ourselves, you know, three meals a day. I have two small children with cooking meals for a whole family. It's nice to take a break once, you know, even if it's just lunch on an afternoon. And it's a very simple pleasure. But if it's something that you can provide, I think it goes a long way. Leif, I want, I want to ask you and Patrick um, about reopening. New York is the hottest hotspot in the country. Your yeah. governor comes on national television to tell us what's going on every day and trying to inspire us to be sensible about the realities of the situation we're facing. What is the what is the climate? What is the reality of this moment in time in Williamsburg, Brooklyn? What's going on there? Are you going to open? Are you being forced or pressured to open? What's going on there? I, I will be honest with you. It is dire. It is very challenging right now to be a business operator in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, right now, in, in or in Manhattan. Um, I am, a, you know, an active member of the New York City Hospitality Alliance, also of uh, Babar, which is the Brooklyn Allied Bar and Restaurant Association. I'm in constant dialogue with other owners and operators, and we're all trying to figure it out. Unfortunately, the support that has come from the government doesn't acknowledge our industry very well yet. Um, some of us have received the PPP loans, but guess what? We can't be open. So we can't hire the staff back to receive the forgiveness that the loan is meant to provide. This doesn't make sense. And the climate that we are now facing in terms of reopening is one, in my opinion, in which we have no reliable vaccine. We have a, a customer base that is going to be wary of showing up in social spaces. And they're also going to be broke because they all lost their jobs. So how we get to a point where we get to reopen in a sustainable way is very unclear to me and to a lot of other operators. And it, the saddest part about that, it's one thing if, uh, yes, there's going to be a lot of businesses that close down and maybe they were skating by, you know, on a, on a prayer already before any of this happened. But New York City is built on small business. New York City is built on diversity of operators and options. And that goes away. And is New York City still New York City if you don't have that? I don't think so. You know, a lot of us who moved to New York City don't want strip malls. We don't want the McDonald's and the, you know, you name it, the TGI Fridays. And like, I'm not trying to diss those uh, establishments, but that's just not what New York City is about. It's You're about... Yeah, and you don't want Williamsburg, Brooklyn to become Times Square. That's right. We don't. We don't. That's not why we opened our businesses there. And, um, you know, everybody has to sit down at the table to figure this out. The insurance companies who so far are denying our uh, business interruption claims have to sit down at the table. 
the landlords have to sit down at the table and the government needs to be there with us to support this dialogue. If this doesn't happen, it is going to be a very sad situation. And, And right now what Cuomo has offered, which is useful, which are these moratoriums on eviction, that only goes halfway because Granted, the uh, landlords can't evict you, but it doesn't mean that you're not incurring debt all along the way. So if you're going to be five months in arrears of rent by August, you're out of business. Um, Leif, are you open now for to-go service or are you only open for the uh, tab for free meals for hospitality displaced workers? We, we were uh, fortunate uh, in the sense that we, as a cocktail bar, we had two things that um, allowed us to be a little more um, a little more flexible and reactive to the situation. We had a takeout window already, one that was only kind of more of like a niche feature. It was, it was a very low volume of sales for us. And we did delivery sales through Grubhub already. Again, a very small portion of our sales, but these two... Um, platforms already existed for us. And so when this happened, within a day, Patrick and I were able to uh, to reconfigure and get things going. And then when the SLA allowed us to sell cocktails to go, we again reacted and were able to get that uh, available through takeout and delivery. And the High Spirits tab has been a part of that um, since the, the first day that we offered that service. And if you want to read more information, the program is called High Spirits. Guys, have you had any trouble sourcing ingredients and raw materials to keep the program going? We're hearing about meat shortages and other things that might be challenging. And of course, to buy the ingredients, you have to pay for the ingredients. How is that flow working for you? Patrick, do you want to touch on that? Yeah, it's been, um, uh, for us, it's been pretty seamless. We haven't seen any great interruptions. Um, We luckily also have a bunch of vegetarian and vegan options. in terms of uh, alcohol distributors, there's plenty of stock uh, because no one's open. So all of our distributors are really um, kind of eager for us to, to start ordering things. And there's a picture of your window. Michael, put that back up. That was kind of yeah. cool. So, guys, will you talk through what we're looking at here? So this is the facade of, um, of our building. Yeah. Go ahead, Leif. Well, this is our takeout window here. So people can walk up to the takeout window and they're looking right into the kitchen where the food is being prepped and uh, we pass it through. And you had that before this pandemic hit. We did, yeah. And what, what is this dish here? This is the chicken tacos. Talk a little bit about the flavor and the composition of that dish. What are we actually tasting when we have this? So one of the special things about uh, Eduardo's preparation with the with the meats is that we cook everything in banana leaf so this is also this is a very honduran uh, element honduran. yeah so the proteins are marinated and the chicken is specifically marinated in chipotle um and then um it is uh, wrapped in banana leaf and cooked in the oven low and slow uh and then pulled out and we pick it off the bone by hand um, and then this is put onto two tortillas. So all of our tacos come with two tortillas, um, a little bit of uh, guacamole, and then it's uh, garnished with um, pico de gallo and a little bit of crema. Nice. Yeah. Um, Patrick, talk a little bit about your personal style in the drinks program. Um, what's your signature cocktail at Donna? 
Um, well, that one, it predates me. It's uh, one of the, the founding head bartenders, the Broncolata. Uh, it's very similar to a, a um, painkiller with uh, a touch of Bronca Menta for net. So it really drinks like thin mint ice cream and it's incredibly delicious. Um, the style at Donna for cocktails is very collaborative. And we have a head bartender here who's fantastic and incredibly talented, Miss Fanny Sue. Uh, and so basically the two of us for the past year have really kind of just worked together on creating this, you know, waste reduction, um, fun agave and rum centric uh, program. And we like them to be bright, big and visual. We don't um, really enjoy using uh, like tiki cocktail glasses too much. But having that same kind of like bright lighting flair. Um, Patrick, talk a little bit for me, please, about the joy of and conviviality that. There Leaf it is. Before, I'm not the first one to mention the word today. Actually, Leaf mentioned it first. Of course, if I had a tattoo, I'm too old. But if I had a tattoo, it would say conviviality because it basically would be on my family crest if I could. I I'm having one. I'm actually going to have a conviviality flasher, mate. Is that every time? Boom, boom, boom. Like I like Patrick. What about Patrick's face right now? When we say conviviality. Yeah, we'll do it. How's Patrick's face right now? I can see that Brooklyn has bad Wi-Fi. Bad Wi-Fi, Brooklyn. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, but he's with us, and we love him for doing this, and we love them for the program they're creating, for making it possible for people who do need a meal. And, uh, and and have to have emotional nutrition in the form of connecting uh, through this program. And and yeah. Brooklyn is in the heart of the heat of this hot spot moment. And it's almost fitting that the cuisine of Donna is the cuisine of the hot climates around the world that give us the cuisine that Donna features for this hot spot moment. I mean, like the synchronicity here is just... It, spot on for me yeah i think there's something to be said too about you know tacos as a cuisine this is a this is a you know uh, to use a business term like a low price point food item so it, it that also plays into the accessibility of it you, this is but, this is not a an elitist uh, cuisine this is not an expensive meal um and i think that's why it also has such a wide appeal well and and tacos are having a moment and anyone that loves tacos the way we love tacos in the Southwest. And Michael, I know you do as well. And certainly they do at Donna in Williamsburg, Brooklyn is, is the great tortilla. The tortilla yeah. is the star and, and you can't make a great taco without a good tortilla. Yeah. Right? It's pronounced tortilla. <laughs> All these years I thought it was tortilla. Oh God. You did. We, we got to shout out me barrio for that too. Cause that's where we're getting our tortillas and our, our chips. They're made fresh locally um you know and they have their own they're, they're nixtamalizing on premises and doing it all there so you know that we, we benefit from uh our local distributor and uh making all that stuff in-house well listen uh Leif, i want to reach out to Pernod ricard because this is a program that they could do in any community anywhere in the country that's right and with, the, with the moment in front of us where people are evaluating do i want do I want to? Can I? Can I afford to? Can I afford not to open? Is it safe to open? There is no one right answer at this moment. Everybody is as confused as everybody else. Yeah. But if we have to continue 
And even if you do open, not everybody's going to get back to work. And we're still going to need programs like this to feed the other displaced workers from the hospitality industry. So mm -hmm. I'd love to take an initiative here and say, if anybody wants to reach out and bring this program to their community, and if Pernod has reps in other cities that are willing to do this, maybe they already are and we just don't know about it. I would love to try and make sure that we can help feed as many of our brothers and sisters behind the stick, behind the rail, and in the back of the house that need our help. Absolutely, yeah. And we'd be happy to be a resource or reference if anybody wants to reach out. You know, please uh, let us know. Patrick and I are, are happy to pass along anything we've learned from this process. And Pat has done an amazing job um, with the rest of our management team setting up uh, a system by which people can order these meals ahead of time so that they're ready for next day pickup. And I think that's been a big uh, a part of its success as well. Our guest in the next part of the show is Ray Flores, who is the third generation of, the, of his family to operate the El Charo restaurants in Tucson, Arizona. And they have been absolutely leaders in pioneering, keeping things going uh, at their Charo Steak and in their downtown El Charo and other locations with their to-go meals. But one of the extraordinary things is they're doing food boxes. They're helping source ingredients and groceries. But Patrick, one of the cool things they did is they found what looks like bags uh, for margaritas to go, which are which are allowed to be done here. Mm. And they look like IV bags. And they're mm. fantastic. They say El uh, Charo on them. And they're the prickly pear margaritas and the classic El Charo margaritas. People are getting really creative and inventive in, in this time. But it's also kind of interesting to see what's possible. And with the pressure to actually survive and support one another, what are some of the other things that you're either doing or other people are doing that you see that you can tell us about to inspire? What else is happening in the New York area within our community that you want to just shout out and compliment people on or make other people aware of? Um, I, I think just just people... Where'd he go? There he yeah. is. Um, so people just leaving the house and, and coming to the businesses that are still operating. Um, I, I know people go stir crazy, but it's it's a lot to ask for people to still come out and support and not go through the corporations, which are charging you know convenience fees uh, and and taking commissions on every sale that we make. So uh, just a shout out to people who are still visit the businesses that are in their area. Hey, Patrick, could you turn the lights on? Because we can't see you. Uh, my my lights are on. Um, I'm just I have no video feed. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, are you sure, uh, ja uh, uh, Jennifer? I'm wondering if Leaf. I wonder if Patrick is really this. He's catfishing us. All of a sudden, <laughs> no, video. Are yeah. you catfishing us? This, what do you mean you have no video? What well, <laughs> my camera? My camera oh, these guys. These guys are the real deal. And I I was I love these guys. Shoulder to shoulder with them. They're the real deal. They're not good. Ray Flores is just popped backstage. Okay. Awesome. Should we bring him on with Leaf? Want to do that, Jennifer? Yeah, can we? Patrick. Can we and we'll we'll segue. Uh, Leaf, have you met um, Ray Flores from the other But let, Can we say goodbye to Patrick first? Because we don't want to oh, be yeah. disrespectful. Patrick, no, Patrick, thank you so much. He's on service right now, and he's going to be doing uh, some more window service at Donna in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. He joins us uh, from his perch there as the beverage director. 
thank you so much for making time Wait, to come and talk. He has to one thing to say. He does have one more thing to say, even though we can't see him. He's saying it from the dark. Go on, Patrick. Okay. It's from the dark, and it's important. Um, so the senators of your state uh, control the state, the local, uh, the liquor authorities. And one thing that you can do to to help businesses is to write them and ask them to allow us to continue off premise um, sales. Okay. For an extended period of time. Yeah, I'll follow up on that, Pat. Like, did, what he's bringing up is an important point. The, the SLA's uh, change of the law, which allowed us to sell cocktails to go, as the next guest is also doing, um, there, we're at risk of losing that opportunity of when the shutdown is lifted. And the truth is, is that we know that customers are not going to be uh, feeling comfortable coming in and will have restricted capacity. So it's really important to us to survive, to be able to continue to sell cocktails to go and in takeaway. And we should just remind everybody that's not uh, in your state that the SLA in New York is otherwise known as what? The State Liquor Authority. Yep. Not SLA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Different from SLA. Patrick, thanks for joining us, buddy. We know you're in service. Right, I'm waving from the dark. <laughs> May the dark be with you, Patrick. <laughs> Cheers, right. guys. Thank you so much. Thanks. What a, what a night. Oh, look, I got, look, at the, look at the background we got there, Leaf. Look at that. What is that? What is that background? Is that your restaurant? I think it is. No, this is this is the this is our no house. behind you behind you on the video on the video. Can you, see, can you see to the sides there on the frame? Oh yeah, yeah. This is my this is my bar. Yeah. See, buddy, I do all these things and don't want to see it, Jennifer. Nobody pays attention to what I do anymore. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm getting rid of it. You know what? I may put the grungy <laughs> look because he's got the hat on. He's great. All right, let's get Ray on. You yeah. want to introduce him, Jen? Yeah, I, I want to introduce you to one of my uh, dear friends. I've been. Is it okay if Leaf stays? Are we good with that, Jen? What's that? Are we okay, okay if Leaf stays I, on? If you can stay, I'd like to introduce at least introduce you to Ray because Absolutely. he's there a he he's a really uh, pivotal and and uh, influential figure in the hospitality industry nationwide. His family's been operating the uh, C Charo and El Charo brand. Uh, for almost 100 years. I think we're up to 98 years. Uh, but most importantly, his mother, Carlotta Flores, for over 30 years, has been one of the most influential chefs in the country, uh, pioneering an awareness for the cuisine of this region, which was acknowledged by UNESCO with the an award of the City of Gastronomy designation, the first in, in, in North America. But, but from the traditions of not only hospitality and cuisine, but leadership, uh, the Flores family has been doing incredible things, not only in our neighborhood here and in our um, and in our community, but in our state. And as we get ready to listen to the the calls for businesses to open up and understanding where those calls are coming from and who is feeling the pressure to open or not open and under what really responsible guidelines can we do this, we're really delighted and honored to welcome Ray Flores to the show to talk about one of the most thoughtful how to reopen programs I've seen anybody put forward. I will argue that this should be the national standard bearer of how to any how any restaurant anywhere could open up anywhere in the country. Ray Flores, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, everybody. Hello. Welcome. Hey, um, hey listen, uh, Jen, I wanted to piggyback real quick on, on the uh, comments about the liquor because that's absolutely something that, and you got to remember another important fact that politicians will listen to will be they need sales tax. Yeah. And 
we we're, we're creating sales tax for them when there's none being created and this is decimating their own budgets yeah so they need to work with us in arizona there was a mild threat that it was ending on the 15th this month we've already been working uh in fact i had a call today with the arizona commerce authority uh we are on that task force we're on the task force with the pima county health department we're on the task force with the state of arizona to reopen uh you know Jen, you know I've not been somebody that gets a lot involved in politics or the industry stuff because I kind of have my head down, and and my time has mostly been focusing on eight and ten year olds and and coaching baseball, and you know all that stuff about my background. So this caught us off guard, obviously, and and we really had to get engaged right away. We have formed in Tucson. Uh, the Arizona Restaurant Association has a Phoenix office; they don't have a Tucson office. So to get some Tucson representation, we formed a restaurant. Uh, advisory council with our local chamber, which gave us some access to some lobbyists, gave us sort of an organizational structure, which yeah. was sadly missing, despite having this great culinary community that we have in Tucson and being the city of gastronomy. We really didn't have that kind of business side organized to deal with something like what we're dealing with right now. Hey, so, Ray, instance, um, we're getting a little bit of um, muting of your sound. Where's your microphone on your computer? We're having just a little bit of trouble hearing you and you want to clarify it. Because what you've got to say is really important. Let me get a little closer. Oh, that's call, better. So that's much better. Uh, Leaf, I want to um, introduce you to my friend, Ray Flores. Ray, this is uh, my my friend, uh, Leaf Huckman. Uh, he's an uh, owner-operator in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, in the heart of the hot zone of all of this. And like you, he's rooted in the um, sugarcane and agave spirits and uh, uh, fluent in tacos. Uh, and I think that Amen. there's a real... There's a real access point for the story of where we're at at this moment um, and having this East Coast, West Coast representation. So uh, continue, please. I think we can hear you a little bit better now. Well, and, and good for you guys in New York that your numbers are going where they should be. Uh, that's good news. And unfortunately, the numbers around here are not. And uh, we see our we just looked at some heat mapping and uh, our community is getting hotter. And not just in temperature outside, but unfortunately in COVID issues. We're losing, Ray, a little bit in the feed. There's a picture of El Charo. This is the landmark restaurant. You want to know how great El Charo is? It was designated by Gourmet Magazine as one of the 20 most important restaurants in the country. And the legendary Can you guys hear me still? Times, uh, journalist and food authority, Johnny yeah, Apple. Yes, Ray, we hear you. Yeah. Leave that picture up for a second. Okay, sorry about that. I had a None other than the incredible uh, R.W. Anyway, Apple, uh, Jr., Johnny Apple. There's a lot of fear here about reopening. There's a lot of concern. We did put together that action plan that Jen is talking about. We published it on our social media. We published it on our website. We want to be very transparent right now. Um, when this all started, a lot of the chefs and culinary folks in town took the approach of more, more of a, of a approach to ask people to come eat in their restaurants. I took an approach more that I wanted to come from a, a position of strength. Uh, the, the narrative that restaurants weren't safe was disruptive to me. Um, yes, congregation isn't safe, perhaps, and uh, uh, close proximity, but by no means were restaurants unsafe. So when they were talking about it in Washington and Fauci was talking about it, and they were saying, stay away from restaurants, I felt it was a knife in our back that we had to pull out quickly. And we immediately went to a program here of trying to design the narrative that restaurant food is safe food. And um, 
you know, when you looked at it from a supply chain side and you knew that grocery stores were shelves were getting stripped. Meanwhile, Cisco Food had told me one week alone they, they had $125 million worth of food go out of code. We knew something had to change that people had to learn about where the food was going to go. And restaurants were a critical part of feeding America that need to be kept open in some fashion um, because there were threats about shutting them down, period. So uh, we've come a long way. I, I feel like COVID is um, the, the dog years times 100, right? I mean, I feel like every day is, is eight years, not, not seven, you know, that you get in, you get in dog years. So what we've gone through in the last 60 days, 80, uh, you know, 75 days has been unbelievable. Um, we have a USDA plant. We've got stores and airports that, you know, I've got a store in Sky Harbor Airport in Terminal 4, and they're saying that will not open until next year. So, wow. um, you know, it's, we get- How does that, Ray, Michael here, Ray, Michael here. How does that yeah. work financially? How does that work for you financially? I mean, obviously, if it's not going to open, they're not going to charge you rent at the airport for all those, all that time. Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's a disaster. And of course- Every one of our entities is a different entity, not, so we have different LLCs. So it's you know we they can be incubated from that standpoint. Some are licensing deals. Uh, we have a licensing deal with Aramark, which is in the Phoenix Convention Center, and that's been shut down, and that was shut down immediately. And we learned uh, from what they were doing and their best practices. We have airports that have been shut down. We are building a unit in Kentucky that's due to open uh, any week now, and they're going to open it because we are one of two food facilities that will be able to be open. Um, so they're all different. Uh, the PPP loans were, were difficult, but we handled it pretty well, I think, for a small business to get what we did. Uh, but, you know, there's the funky limitations that they have on them with the eight weeks, and everybody's had those discussions already. So, you know, you put it all into a hopper, and you kind of make this hamburger potty, and you kind of go, did we get a, did we get a good burger? No. We're, we're still got ground beef. We still have to figure out what are we going to do? Here? Well, let, and, Ray, um, I'm going to jump in here. Today, after this call, I'm on the task force with the county for yeah. Pima for for Tucson, and you know they they have they are now responding to the governor edit. They did not lead because they couldn't. The governor jumped out in front and said restaurants could start reopening, and that's his prerogative. And and there's a good reason for a big chunk of that decision, and there's also risk for the other part of that decision. And we're trying to address that in real time, and it's difficult, yeah. very very difficult. Ray, uh, is it possible that maybe the way that you're holding the phone is partially covering up your microphone? I hear him fine. Leaf's okay. got to get back to work. Leaf's okay. got to get back to work. So let Leaf say goodbye to us. I think we got the two of them talking. Guys, and I, I, I want to hear what Ray, Ray has to say. The two of you. Leaf, thank you so much. The restaurant is called so It's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It's Good the home and soul of its neighborhood, and we're grateful to you for being on. The program, thanks to Pernod Ricard, is called High Spirits. It can be replicated almost anywhere in the country. Walking up, ordering food from the window and saying, please put it on Pernod Ricard's tab. It's really, a, it's just about dignity. Classic. And thank you for doing that. I, yeah, I that. Thank you for having me. And Ray, thank you for all the words that you're saying too. I really, uh, I stand behind you, man. And I think that, you know, our industry more than any um, has a really uh, scary road to walk to get back to any kind of semblance of, regular business and uh, i stand behind your efforts likewise my brother be safe out there all right take care right. thanks please good meeting you buddy michael one of the things i want to make sure that you and, and everyone that's listening understands is that ray and his family 
are the edible heart and soul of the metropolitan Tucson community. This is the food that when you have a wedding, you serve. If somebody has a funeral, this is the food you serve. If somebody has a baby at a christening, this is the food you Jen, serve. Jen, I, I can't hear you. This is, the, this is the key that you need to understand. This isn't just about the convenience and nutrition of meals. This is about the true heart and soul of this community. Right. I think that's... Are you Does able to sort it out, Ray? I'm having a hard time hearing. I can hear you now. Okay. okay. You want to try and reconnect? He may have to. He went, I think he went. Yeah. Let's have Ray reconnect. One of the things, though, it's imperative for everybody to understand. Yes, you've seen El Charo on Food Network. Yes, it's the place that takes the gorgeous Arizona cattle and the beef that we have here and dries the beef in cages on the roof of the restaurant under the Arizona sun to make the carne seca that is world famous. Yes, El Charo is the place where the chimichanga was invented. Mm. I'm telling you. What is this? What is this? What is this dish? It looks incredibly incredible. I don't even know what it is. It's everything that, I've ever... That's potentially one of the Sonoran hot dogs, or it could be one of the new... Carlotta's Kitchen from Chef Carlotta Flores is reimagining in the most contemporary way all of the best items that the world wants right now in food. Vegan, gluten-free. They're making hemp tamales. Their hola, hola, hola hemp tamales are some of the best that you'll have anywhere. Carlotta is making jackfruit taquitos. She's with keto in mind, with gluten-free in How mind. How are they? Let's talk about it. They're them. phenomenal. It is the best vegetarian or vegan plate of food you're going to find anywhere in the country. Right. They have a new restaurant called Charo Vida. And it is this interpretation of this cuisine elevated in the healthiest ways possible. It's food for life. So how many locations do, these, do they have? I can't even tell you the number. So he's got to really be nervous. It's got to be a little bit scary. It's not drive through drive through locations or no, they're, but more dive-in? No, I don't believe that any of them are drive through locations. Okay. Michael, you've got to remember that Johnny Apple, R.W. Apple Jr., mm -hmm. the world-famous food writer from the New York Times, said that El Charo was one of his favorite restaurants in the entire world. And when he came to visit us here, here in Tucson prior to his death, he made sure that when he and I visited, that he told me just how much he loved Carlotta Flores and the El Charo restaurant family. He believed that it was the greatest food that this regional offering anywhere in the country had to, he wanted people to know this is some of the best regional food anywhere in the world. Fantastic. And it wasn't just Johnny Apple. It's still going on today. And after nearly a hundred years, this is a family that is truly feeding our family. They welcome and embrace us all in the Spirit of conviviality and hospitality. That is the hallmark of and the conviviality. Now it's the jackfruit taquitos. Now it's everything in the most healthy way possible with Charo Vida. I love it. Ray, can you hear us now? 
I'm back. Yeah, I apologize. Technical. No. Uh, sorry. So, is there a um, Tucson Restaurant Association, or is it just, or no. it's Arizona? Just Arizona Restaurant Association. Just, 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 yeah, just Arizona. Correct. And you're on the you're on that as well. No, no. Uh, like I said, we haven't done that kind of stuff for a while. We we are part of the uh, more just the local scene, you know. We're, it's, yeah. We've never broached bro into that political stuff in, in the past. We, my father was very involved when they had a chapter here, but that was many moons ago. You uh, know, Ray, is it safe to say that Tucson is the Reno to Phoenix's Las Vegas? To Las Vegas, yeah. You know, and it's and it's. Yeah, I, don't I mean, get, I think I don't want to get into tried. politics, but but people, it's night and day different. It's absolutely night and day different. And there's a reason why the UNESCO and the City of Gastronomy designation came to Tucson and not Phoenix. And that's yeah, all I don't know that that I don't know that the I don't know that the size size metropolitan status of Phoenix versus Tucson equates to to UNESCO. UNESCO had a lot to do with native native research right i mean native food research and that uh, obviously in tucson being one of the oldest inhabited parts in the in the country uh that bode well for them to get that designation because it had a lot to do with native seed research so that i think that was more than anything um because san antonio uh got uh, the, the next unesco and i don't really know how they claimed what they worked on there but uh, i don't know that size <laughs> i don't know that size matters <laughs> well <laughs> We also have to mention that the incredible team at Visit Tucson or Vamos a Tucson recognizes that our entire region that goes down into Sonora, Mexico, is part of this broader cultural edible place. But most importantly, it's it's got to be mentioned that in addition to the Visit Tucson, that we're part, Tucson is part of the Delice Network, which is an international group of cities who use edible tourism as a cornerstone of their travel and tourism outreach. And, and clearly we are still, in spite of the University of Arizona and the really broad success that we have because of the U of A, we're still a, a seasonal destination for a lot of people. Our population swells between Thanksgiving and Easter. And frankly, there are a few places on the planet that are more beautiful in January, February, and March. That's why people come here. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's, what's, when you say it all and you drive around and you look at empty restaurants, I'm parked in one of right now. I think it's just, uh, you can get very emotional very quickly about where we're all at. And I want to wave to my friend, Sheila, who's, who's watching or on, on, uh, listening to us today. Um, Hey, Sheila, thank you for tuning in. Later, Sheila. Wait a minute. Uh, you know, That's my friend, Sheila, right? How, how Sheila is my friend, Ray. Yeah. I don't understand. That's that's because we're one. <laughs> Ray, the reason we really are, are happy to have you on today, though, is you've created the CHRO 100. It's the C100 steps to reopening a restaurant that could really be a template for national consideration across the board from, from coast to coast. These are the most thoughtful provisions. Will you talk a little bit about what 100 steps any restaurant anywhere will need to take? to consider opening back up safely. Very important. Yeah. Um, well, the, the document we sent out, can you all hear me still? Uh, a little bit. I, I For whatever reason, it sounds like something's covering up your microphone. I hear it fine. Okay. Yeah. 
There we go. So the document we sent out uh, had, um, I wonder if I'm on, maybe because it should be on screen. Anyway. Oh, much better, much better. Uh, the, the document was the common, oh, yeah. you know, combination. There, there was, uh, and, and we had input from all of our managers because they, we wanted their input because they're dealing with the real world. And then we looked at national resources that were out there and we compiled those as well as positions just of general food science that were, again, like I, I said in the beginning, has been missing a little bit from the narrative. Uh, no one's talking about, you know, hot food being cooked to 165. No one's talking about food being held at 140. Why does that matter? Well, most viruses are killed around 138 to 140 degrees, including COVID, including COVID-19. It's killed at that, at that temperature. So, and then there's sunlight, which yesterday they said, we read some things about sunlight having a positive effect. And we're sitting here, I'm in a 104 degree car right now on this phone call with bright sunshine. So there's factors that are, that are obvious. There's things that are still science with food. Um, we've always had hand washing techniques in our, in our restaurants. That's right. something that, you know, the rest of the world may not, and you can, you know that because you've all been in a restroom and seen somebody leave without washing their hands. And if you've, if, if you've spent 10 minutes in a restaurant as an employee, you know, that's a, that's a forbidden sin. So the question, you know, really restaurants are prepared to handle this much more so than a Home Depot right. or, or no offense, you know, no offense, more important, more probably better suited than a Walmart. So right. it, it's definitely been frustrating to know because we have science, we have science involved in our business. You know, it's not all glitz and glamour. It's not all what you see on the plate. There's a lot of food science that goes into this. And I felt like the chefs need to stand up and unite around that a little harder. I, I understand they want to plead for business. They want to tell people to come eat out. But I, I, I'd like to see some of these chefs out there going, listen, we're the pros. Our kitchens are clean. Our kitchens are safe. We know what we're doing. Um, and I, I think that's been missing. I, I hope that that started. I know we started it. We had a video done uh, with my executive chef, uh, Gary Hickey from our steakhouse. Uh, he did it. He joined Janos, who's you know, our local James Beard Award winner. And they, they came out and they talked about food being safe from restaurants. Because if it is true that in the new reality, we're going to need to count on 40, 50% or more of our sales mix to come from takeout, then we need people to know that it's being prepared safely so they can eat it at home safely. Um, that's the big part of the efforts that we've been taking under as well as doing things like asking for extensions of premises so that we can expand outdoor dining. Because again, more fresh air, more direct sunlight, uh, just a, a better opportunity to do real business instead of this confined areas that our smaller diners might have. Um, we're working with all the different elected officials to try and make smart decisions like that opportunity to sell alcohol. Um, we, our family, you know, it, it's a hundred year old restaurant family. We've launched uh, a couple of initiatives online. Uh, we just, uh, we were working on this for a while. We launched tamales of the month com where we can where you can actually do a tamale subscription we can send them to you anywhere in america uh you can get a tamale a different tamale recipe every month to your front door we have a usda company so that allows us to do that um Ray, talk that, a little bit about the uh the quantum leap forward that you and your family took with the opening of charovita and the development in, in partnership, your, your mother and, and Carlo, Chef Carlotta Flores and Gary Hickey 
your executive chef, came together and have really um, reimagined uh, the most healthful cuisines in consideration of all the dietary uh, awareness that we have today. And not only with Hola Hemp, um, but with Charavita, you've really taken a quantum leap into the future of food. Right. Well, and, and, and food is a function of wellness for everybody. Uh, we'll be more and more in our face now that we've seen what the COVID-19 has done to people with pre-existing conditions, specifically things like diabetes, et cetera, that could be cured through better diet or at least managed through better diet. So uh, whether it be inflammatory issues like my mom, who was diagnosed with lupus several years ago, uh, to other things, allergies, uh, celiac, we've been responsive to those type of things, going gluten-free, gluten-sensitive a long time ago. Charo Vita has a lot of that, a lot of that research in, into it, but also being plant-forward. So a lot of the recipes will be based on plant-based. Of course, we're not completely vegan. There's still a need for people to have community when they dine. And what we've what we've seen is people have been happy that, you know, if there's a young person in the family and they want, they want a vegan option, that they've got a lot here to offer, but that their grandparents can also have something with an animal protein or other on it. So Charovita is truly what we're calling vegan plus. Uh, it's a vegan plus concept. And we are, you know, we're, we're growing with that every day. We launched uh, foods with superfoods like hemp, like quinoa, of course, and all that, but also using smart things like liquid aminos instead of soy sauce and, and brewer's yeast instead of different seasonings so that we can get a, a vitamin B out of it. Uh, you know, using smart ingredients where, you know, you might be able to pick up a protein. We do uh, tableside guacamole, but we add garbanzo to it. Yeah, it's cool. It's Mediterranean. It's got hummus, that flavor. But more importantly, it adds protein, which right. a lot of vegans need protein. So we don't just do things because it's cool. We're doing it because we want to respond to you need this in your diet. Let us help you with that. So Charovita has been that response to that question. And one of the things I have to, you know, I've been very fortunate to be friends with your family a long time. Our sons play Little League together. Uh, and, and your mother's been a mentor to me my entire career. But you have a child with a, a food allergy that prevented her from enjoying one of the most traditional and iconic foods of this culture. And when you opened Charo Vita, you found a solution. Would you tell that story? Because it, it still brings tears to my eyes. My daughter, Alessandra, was born with, and we didn't know it was more of a, a process of elimination, but certain foods would make her sick. She'd get a rash or she'd have an upset stomach and she would be in a lot of, lot of upset. She'd cry a lot. She was colic as a baby. We couldn't figure it out. We kept doing, you know, over time, we would eliminate things from her diet, bring it back. And finally, we kind of isolated. My wife really worked hard on it the issues. And that's what it takes really sometimes because a doctor has a hard time, you know, putting a finger exactly what the problem is. Um, so when we were doing Charovita, we had all the team here and we were testing things. One of the things I said is I wanted gluten-free vegan churro um, because I wanted to be able to sell that to anybody and everybody. And so we were going through all these different tests and we finally nailed down a recipe that interestingly enough includes mesquite flour which of course that's pretty indicative of our Sonoran culture and, and, uh, environment. So it's a superfood. Yeah, exactly. We created a recipe with mesquite flour churros. We're sitting in the dining room and we're all testing them. And my son's downing them like, you know, little pills. And then she, she looks, she's hitting it and, and she's got it. She's got it in her mouth. 
And everyone's like, oh, this is the best churro I ever had. Everyone's raving about it. And the room kind of got quiet. And, and all of a sudden, you just hear from her, well, this is the first churro I've ever had. And then the world, you know, the room stopped because she's never had one. And, and she's never had a donut before. Um, if she did, it was when she was a baby and she got sick from it. So for her, it was great. You know, we go to the era U of A games or we go to a football game. My son's sitting there eating churros left and right. And she's stuck with her kind of dry, hard, you know, uh, gluten-free cake that we find off the shelf somewhere. So for her to get something warm with all that chocolatey kind of goodness and, and, and that, that texture that a churro has, she just, she just loves them. And they, they're sell, they sell like crazy. We do really well. Ray, um, Michael, can you come back on? I, I, I got to ask. Uh, I, I need I feel like we need to do something here. Ray, you uh -oh. have this list of 100 points of consideration for opening. Um, uh, you released that list. Michael, can we get this list and publish it in Food and Beverage Magazine for every operator in the country? Because we've got 12 million readers. Of, of course, if Ray, if, Ray, if Ray likes it. I mean, some of the lists, because I'm in Vegas, Ray. So I see what's coming out right now for the Southern yeah. Nevada Health. And these, the, uh, as much as the restaurants don't like it, they obviously have to abide by, it. you know, the, the throwaway silverware right. and dishes, the no, the, you can't even have dishes on the table, right? Like it, it, everything's got to be clean. The chairs, the minute someone gets up, I mean, it is going to be so freaking expensive, so expensive just to keep things moving and abide by these rules, right? Um, to keep everybody healthy, that that may be a problem. But yeah, we can we can actually absolutely post Ray, that can up. We for do that? Can we publish your list of 100 points of consideration for opening any restaurant in the country? Ray's done with us, Jennifer. He had enough. He's getting out of the car. <laughs> I don't think that's he's it. He's going to the. He's, he's getting out. Ray, can we can we share this list with uh, the readers of Food and Beverage Magazine? He doesn't want to share the list. I don't think he's going to hear us. I think we're they're up in Charavita right there. Um, Is that Charavita? Yeah. Let's take a peek at that. Look at that. Look at that. It's in the beautiful Casas Adobe Shopping Center at the corner of Oracle and Ina. Ray, can you hear us? That is I don't think Ray can hear us. Ray cannot hear us. All right. Anyway, we're going to work on that. I want to thank my friend uh, Carlotta Flores, Chef Gary Hickey, and my friend Ray Flores for joining us today in the conversation about what are we gonna do to get open? How are we gonna do it in the smartest way possible? And let's take that list of 100 points and share it with the readers of Food Absolutely. and Magazine. And, Absolutely. Um, what a great yeah. show, what a great pickup show. To, uh, we'll do a show tomorrow, Jen. Oh, we got a great show tomorrow, are you kidding? I, uh, I just got a celebrity confirmed for you. You do? Yes, I do. Can we, can we tease it as they do in the business? Uh, if you are a uh, reggae fan, Yes, I, I think we should try to get a hold of Warren to get him on this show. Yes. If you are a reggae fan, his family is a uh, iconic, legendary family in the reggae world. Wow. And their band is named Morgan Heritage. And we're going to actually have Gramps Morgan on talking about his jerk sauce. Oh, no way. Really? Way. Way. Did I say no. way? Way. Now, he doesn't wow. have one of these, Jen. And you know yeah. what we forgot to talk about today? Let's we still talk Yeah, we forgot to talk about my book at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. You know, that's right. a fantastic book. And I want everybody to know that I was very proud to write a, a little comment about it. But, but you Thank really you. did an incredible job with it. And everybody in the restaurant business right now can take those success factors that are in that book.
yes. and apply them to the new normal that's coming. I and actually you- had a conversation with a rest with someone today about restaurants, and it is the new normal. We actually today we talked about having a foundation. You already have your foundation. You've got your kitchen. You've got your staff. You've got your people. Now let's pivot it. I don't like to use the word pivot because everyone's using it. They don't really understand it. But let's reinvent what we're doing. You have your recipes. You have all this stuff. Start from, it's almost like restarting your business. You did it once, do it again. You did it once, do it again. Now you just have a few more rules and restrictions. But if you did it once, you can certainly do it. Get up from this pandemic, dust yourself off, and do it again. But Michael, I think pivot's the wrong word. I agree. I think, I think reborn. Oh, a rebirth. A conviviality of rebirth. Because listen to me, the one most important thing is why are you doing what you're doing? For whom are you doing it? And what is the intention you're doing it with? If you didn't have those ideas in mind when you opened up the first time, if this experience hasn't manifested for everybody the idea that what's my intention? What am I trying to do? How can we be of service through food and through drink? through hospitality, through conviviality. If you yep. can't answer those questions, you aren't going to be reborn. And you hey, might Jen, be one of those statistics. It's your chance to look at what's wrong and fix it. What's broke and fix it. And just because you had a lot of money coming in doesn't mean something wasn't broke. Now you're going to start seeing those holes. And you're going to be like, oh my God, I could have made more money if I did this. I could have done this. I could have done this better. But you know what? Reborn, baby. Do it. Reborn. Do it better. And, Do it's it better. Not just, and it's not just the idea something was broken. It's that things weren't living up to the potential that they had to be as as unlimited as they could be. I also want you to remember this simple idea that there is no ceiling. There really is no limit to what you can reimagine in this moment. Nor, by the way, is there no depth of despair, okay? And that's what people are trying to live in right now. That's depths of despair. Let go of it. You got to surrender it. Let it go. You got to have faith. That's the other thing. Not go to church faith unless that's your thing. When I say you got to have faith, look you who's back. Have- look who we got. Look who we Yay. got back. Yay. Yeah, I, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm in my truck. And, uh, I'm it's a thousand degrees. Place. Well, yeah, it's a thousand degrees. And I, I have to, I want to, I really would love to continue talking with you, especially about Vegas, because it, it just bleeds to me what you guys have got to be going through. I saw, you know, really the inspiration for my 100 point plan was the ancient 800 point plan, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what they, you know, and just the fact of the hotel room and then, Oh my God, I can't imagine. Um, but, uh, you know, I pray to God that that returns because I, I think Vegas is so important to El- so many reasons, but uh, listen, I, I have a two o'clock call with the, um, County. I'm on that commission. So I go ahead continue and come back with you guys. Uh, Jim knows that, you know, uh, we're great friends and I'd love to come back. You talking with you all. You're you're and, welcome anytime, anytime, Ray. You're welcome. Ray, anytime. I just was trying to say, can do we have your permission to share your hundred point plan with the readers of Food and Beverage magazine? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, check out what we did with Tomorrow for Heroes. Also, I don't know if you guys saw that. That's yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Jennifer will work on that. Go ahead and get on your commission call. We love you. We're going to talk to you soon. Thank Thanks, you. Stay safe and well. Bye bye. cool. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Right. Good. Now we're so, you know, Michael, this is this is just I think today was a really important show because yeah. the considerations, 
whether you're in an existing hot spot for this virus like New York, where our first guests in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, are really facing it. All the way to Tucson, Arizona. How about that? And in Tucson, we've got Mother Nature helping us out with things like the sunshine and, you know. Well, you are the sunshine of Tucson, Jennifer. And let's wrap this up because I'm going to fall asleep and I'm sure people watching are about to fall asleep. Listen, I want to get all this information to everybody and I want people to know that we are on, we are in this together. And whether you're choosing to open back up or defy the orders to open back up, remember taking the time to consider the health and safety of everyone concerned is everyone's single moral priority, period. Period. I agree. Period. And, and when, um, when right, so they could, can they find the information at fbmagazine.com? How about that? Uh, yeah, I'm going to, it's, it's on its way over to you right now. And I, and Beautiful. I want to say when you get home, hug your kids and count your blessings. All right. We love you, Jennifer.